Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. <coughs> thank you that your spirit is here. You're faithful. Thank you for that worship that you just came and encountered us. Lord, we are desperate for you. We're desperate to taste and see that you're good. God, we need more of you and less of us. We just pray for tonight that you would move through your word, that you would get all the glory. Um, just put me to the side, Lord, and speak through me. And may what's of you stick and what's not of you fall to the ground. Just be glorified here. I pray for focus and attention as we dive in that uh, we would get transformed by your word. We're so desperate for you, Jesus. We're so desperate right now. We just invite you here. Guard our hearts and minds now with your peace. And we just love you, Jesus. Amen. Come on. Hi, my name is David Shikrata. I'm one of the leaders here. God, I love Thrive. These lights are really bright, so if I'm kind of blinded, give me some grace. But I'm really excited. You know, we've been in the book of Romans. Romans is one of the most powerful books in the Bible. Uh, there's a quote I shared a few weeks ago, and I prayed that every deep and meaningful revival in the church begins with a deep understanding of Romans. And that's by Frederick Godet. And I, I truly believe that as we dive into the word and we understand what's there for us and apply it to our lives, we can see revival. We can see, we can see change in our lives that can impact every sphere of influence that we have. So tonight we're in chapter 8. Jake Chambers was here last week speaking on verse 1 through 10, no, 11. Speaking of there's no condemnation in Christ. Before that, I believe Mike, Michael Bautersa preached. We had Jake Chambers. Obviously, we had Tim Cedarlin and Devante. So it's been really cool just going verse by verse through this book. And the best is yet to come. Amen? The best is yet to come. So tonight we are in chapter 8. Chapter 8 is about life in the spirit. Uh, chapter 7 is, is somebody trying to live out what chapter 6 says without the spirit. And they're left really empty. Thank you. Yeah, now I can see a little bit. Um, they're left empty because um, we need the spirit to live out this life. So... Before I dive into my first point, um, I like to do this exercise to get everyone excited so we can help kind of preach this message. I'm a Pentecostal guy. I love the spirit. I love moving the spirit, and I love it when people help me preach. So we're going to do a little. I did this last time I preached on three. We're going to do some kind of shouting down. And if it gets really exciting tonight, we might bring out the snakes. We might, we might dance around. We might have, you know, we might have people falling over. We'll bring modesty blankets, and we might have people, um, like behind you holding you, make sure you don't get hurt. But we'll see. I mean, you can go to Applebee's and come back. We'll still be here. It'll be an all-night revival. So to, to practice that, let's do this thing. On three, I'm going to count down. And why don't you guys shout me down say amen. Maybe say come on. Maybe say uh, preach it brown boy because I'm from the Middle East. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a free pass tonight <laughs> to say that. All right. One, two, three. All right, all right, all right, I like it. I like it. Let's get excited. God's word is good. And don't be afraid to shout down. Don't be afraid to say amen. That's good. That's resonating. Keep preaching it. Preach it harder. Stand up. Preach it better than me. Why don't you stand up and preach it? All right, so my first point tonight, as I read verse 12, is, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So my first point tonight, before... I even dive into it. I want to share a story. Anyone here like have a fear of snakes? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. All right. So I have this, d I'm deathly afraid of snakes, right? So I grew up my whole life. I'm from the Middle East, Turkmenistan. A lot of deadly snakes, a lot of mambas, a lot of cobras. 
and we just go out and you hang out, right? And you think, all right, it's going to be all right. We're just going to be okay playing around with snakes. Well, one, one summer last year, I was on a hike with my buddy. And we're up at, uh, I think it was Lena Lake. And on the way down, <laughs> we're just having fellowship and talking. And we're just, you know, there's this really tight trail. And I'm walking down, and I look to my left, and I'm inches from this huge snake just wrapped around on this, like, bush. And it's just sitting there, and I could see its beady eyes, and I was, like, losing it. So I start booking it down. Oh, my God. And my friend's just sitting there laughing at me. But I'm like, it's not funny, man. Like, shh, snakes are of the devil. There's, there's a reason why um, in, in Genesis there's a snake, right? The snake was the, the one that got crushed, the one that got thrown out, right? So... All that to say, I share this story because uh, a lot of us have different fears and, and, and phobias, but snakes, there's a real good story here. There's a pastor uh, I know named Louis Giglio who was, when he grew up as a young kid, he, would, he was a camper, and he'd go out, and him and his friend Andy Stanley would go out, and they lived in, like, uh, the area of Mississippi, so there's a lot of different snakes and stuff, and they would go out, and they would hunt these snakes, and, and they had to because... If not, they would be getting into the showers, they'd be getting into the rooms and scaring the girls. So him and his friend go out and they get baseball bats <laughs> and they go out to the to the grass and there's snakes everywhere, like diamondbacks and uh, what else, copperheads, and they, they don't care. So they're, they grab their bats and they go to town. So they're out there just smashing heads, just killing all these snakes, uh, putting a flashlight down and smashing heads. And by the end of it, they would collect all the heads and all the bodies and they bring it back in a sack. And uh, Andy Stanley, uh, no, Louis said that even though the, the snakes were dead, they'd be wrapping around their hands. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just imagine just wrapping around your hands. Anyway, so he, he shares that story, and I love it because this will this will tie in, trust me. Um, I don't know, I'm just going on a rabbit trail. But uh, anyway, so whenever these snakes would die, the copperheads and the diamondbacks, they would, so like months after the head of the snake separated from the body, if you, let's say you were on a hike and something and you stepped on a head, that, that head would be just as deadly as it was when it was alive. And that really struck me. I was like, whoa, like, it could be dead for months, but it's just as deadly if you go and step on it. So my first point tonight is sin is dead, but it's still deadly. So the verse part of <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 12 is, if you live according to your flesh, you will die. And if you... We're not debtors to the flesh. And I, I felt like we had to see the seriousness of this calling and this exhortation before we could get to the good stuff later because that's how the Bible works. It always helps us see and see how deadly life is apart from God so that we could be drawn to him to have more hope. So you might ask, all right, what do you mean by sin is dead but still deadly? Well, when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he defeated death. He crushed the head of the enemy and he, he vanquished the enemy but that doesn't mean those enemies aren't real still. Even though your enemy is dead and defeated, he's still deadly if you go meddling around the snake yard and you're picking up head, heads of vipers and snakes and, oh, I got this. Like Samson in the Bible, he'd go out and, oh, I can go drinking with my buddies. I can go out, you know, go to these clubs and I'll be fine. Even though his calling from a young age was stay away from, stay away from the hairdressers, stay away from... <laughs> Stay away from the bars. He, he liked his cider. Um, stay away from all these things, but he's just like hanging out like, I got this. And that's the, the same with us. Is like we, we know we're dead to sin. We know we don't own our flesh a thing, but we still go back to those areas that tempt us and think, oh, I got this. 
I got this. But the truth is you don't got this, and I don't have this, and we don't have strength in our flesh to overcome the flesh. We need somebody else. We need a God that can come down. Amen. Come on, shout me down. God is good, and he can come in and save us. So you might ask, what does it mean to live according to the flesh? Well, it is, it is to put your own natural desires, it is to put your throne above God and say, I deserve it all. It's like Adam and Eve walking in the f- cool of the night with Jesus and God, but it's saying, you know what, this is enough. I want that one fruit. Even though I got all the 999 agave and fashion fruit, all this good stuff, I want that one fruit. I want the juicy fruit. And that's, that's the flesh is we want to put ourselves above God. We want to put ourselves on the throne of our lives, and we want to be the master of our own fate, the captain of my fate. Have you heard that quote? Master of my fate, captain of my soul. It's saying, you know what? I know better, God. But the truth is we don't know better. The truth is our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all else. Jeremiah 17.9 says that. Your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. So we're like, okay, all right, so <laughs> this flesh thing isn't good. Like living according to it is no fun. But sometimes we go out and we, we still want to live by it. So I love the second part of verse 13. Um, it says, if you live according to your flesh, you will die. So I have an example for this. Um, anyone here experienced death in your heart because of fle- the flesh and the sin? Let's be honest. Like This is church. You don't have to believe to belong. You don't have to behave to belong. You just have to be real. And if we can all be honest, we've all given in <laughs> to our flesh. We've all given in to what feels good and what tastes good. And we've felt death within. We've felt dead a lot inside. And the way I want to illustrate this is I, I was praying about this, and the Lord kind of like put uh, Heath Ledger on my heart this week. And I was thinking about this Australian actor, very popular. Anyone here know Heath? Um, he played the Joker. And probably the most legendary role I've ever watched in my life, like The Dark Knight. And it'll change your life. Like Anyway, so, so Heath Ledger, this guy's like out of this world talented, right? He's an Australian actor. He's got a wife. Um, he's got $16 million to his net worth. And the whole world is just worshiping this guy. So he has it all, but he doesn't have God, and he's walking in his flesh. And um, he struggled with depression, anxiety. And I don't say that to, like, beat that up because a lot of us struggle with that. But it led him to the point where he took his own life. Uh, actually, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and it said by... He had cardiac arrest caused by prescription overdose. This hero, this legend, this man that so many people looked up to, just dead, given over and hopeless, has money, has comfort, has success, has no God, no hope, and what does it leave him? To death. And that's not it. I mean, we've seen the enemy steal so much from us. We've seen... So many precious people killed, destroyed, stolen from. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, it says. But I've come to bring life and life abundantly. And we've seen beautiful people of God, people that are made in his image, um, that maybe weren't even saved, be just wrecked by the enemy. So in what ways are we allowing the flesh to rob us of life? In what ways are we still thinking we can find fulfillment in the flesh. 
The truth is we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts that nothing can fill. You can try to fill it with your, your own comfort and your own pleasure, but you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. I've, I once heard it said, sin is like honey to your mouth but gravel to your stomach. And it, it tastes good, but then you're just left empty, right? Well, I don't want to sit here and say I'm some Heath Ledger, and I don't want to compare myself to him. He's the most very talented guy. But I have experienced death in my own life, maybe not physically, but spiritually. Times where I've chosen my own way over God's, and I've been left discouraged, depressed, and hopeless. And maybe you have tonight, too, because this is church, and we're all on a journey. And you don't have to be perfect to belong here, but this is a battle, and this is a real battle. So sometimes in this passage, we have to let the passage go down and and preach itself. <laughs> and it kind of starts with some bad news, like, hey, you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. And But I love the butts in the Bible. Anyone here loves the butts in the Bible? I like big butts, and I kind of like this kid. Um, <laughs> too soon, too soon. All right. Um, anyways, I love the butts in the Bible. I mean, you look at King David, right? Adulterer and murderer, but God called him a man after his own heart. You look at Moses, a murderer, a liar, a thief, but God called him the most humble man in the world. And you could go example after example. You look at Gideon, he was afraid and he was struggled with insecurity, but God called him mighty one of God. And I want to tell you tonight, I don't know what you've been calling yourself, and I don't know what but is in your life and how bad it got, but God has a plan for you. And God wants to redeem what the locust has stolen from our lives. Just like this story, I want to tell you that God is bringing hope tonight. And I love the second part of verse 13. But if by the spirit you put to death your flesh, you will live. It got pretty bad. The flesh was robbing us of life. The flesh was taking us farther than we wanted to go, keeping us longer than we want to stay, and costing us more than we want to pay. But God redeemed what the locust has eaten in one moment. When he stepped on that cross and he took on Calvary and he said, you know what? I love you too much. I can't leave you the way you are. I love you too much to leave you the way you are. So my second point, if you're taking notes, studies show that 10 out of 10 people that take notes go to heaven. So I I hope that you guys, nah, don't take notes. It's all good. Uh, My second point is the spirit slays our flesh. The flesh slays us, but the spirit slays the flesh. You can't overcome this by trying harder, praying harder, reciting more verses. You need help. Amen? You ever felt like that? Like, man, I need help. I need a lot of help. Zechariah 4.6 says, it's not by might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's not by your own might. It's not by your own power, but it's by his spirit that he can come and slay the Goliaths in your life. Goliath must fall. Goliath must fall in our life. The giants in our life that are still there of addiction, anxiety, fear must fall. And who but David himself in that story, when everyone says, David, this Goliath guy is too strong and everyone's afraid. He's like, no, who is this? Who dare this Philistine, uncircumcised Philistine, defy the armies of the living God? Because here's a man that had been spending a long time with Jesus in 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 the wilderness. Here's a man that had defeated the bear and the lion, and he had seen God's hand with the small victories. So when it came to Goliath, he's like, Goliath can't defeat me because God is my God, and he won't defy me, and he, and he kills Goliath. 
in that same way, the spirit, David in that story isn't us. Sometimes we read the Bible like all the good parts are us, and then we think all the bad parts are somebody else. Anyone relate to that? Like, oh, this would be so good for my sister. She really struggles with pride or, you know what I mean? This would be so good for my dad or, you know what I mean? But no, it's like, yo, we were the scared people in that story like, oh, Goliath, man, I ain't going to try him. But David goes out and he's like, let me, let me take this guy on. Well, David is Jesus in the story. Jesus is everything good in the Bible. Everything we are not, he is. And by his spirit, we will rise from the ashes of defeat and we will declare he's victorious. And there's no more defeat because we're cho- chosen and we're loved and we're accepted and our best is yet to come. So I want to tell you, there's one reason you should put your flesh to death and live according to spirit tonight. There's one reason. God is better. Spirit is better than what the flesh has to offer. And I, I was really ministered to by this by Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12, where it talks about two evils. I mean, let me read it. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves broken sisters that hold no water and that is the key here is that we keep going back to our flesh thinking it can fill a void that it can't fill i want to tell you the spirit's better god is better and he's so much better than what our flesh has to offer he is it says right here the fountain of living water that sounds a lot better than broken cisterns that don't hold water it's like when you're really thirsty and you're out playing sports and your friend you know gives you a coke and you're like, really? How am I going to stay hydrated? You know, I'm trying to smack these volleyballs around this court right now. I need some Gatorade. I need some H2O. They're like, hey, some Coke. And you drink it and you're done. Your game is just done, right? Or Mountain Dew. It's just drinking the wrong thing when, when you have this thirst, but you can't quench it with the, the flesh. So in that same way, I've also heard it say, drinking, living in sin is like drinking salt water, trying to quench a thirst that only real water can quench. God is better, and that's my one encouragement to us tonight, not just you, me, myself, to turn away from those temptations and, and those lies and those sins and those things that are robbing us of our joy in Christ is God is better. And that's what this passage says. It says, yo, like, live according to your flesh, you'll die, but by the Spirit you will live. So my third point tonight, um, as let me go on to verse 14. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Spirit leads us is my third point. This is a divine privilege. Like, chapter 8 is, like I once heard it said, it's like a treasure chest for the believer. It's like all the promises of God. And one of the biggest privileges of being a son of God and a daughter of God is the Spirit leads us. And I want to read this quote. Um, Paul didn't say, as many as go to church, these are the sons of God. He didn't say as many as read their Bibles are the sons of God. He didn't even say as many are patriotic Americans, Jason, are the sons of God. <laughs> Sorry, I had to pick on, I could pick on a broski. He's a good dude. Um, he didn't say as many as take communion are the sons of God. He didn't say as many as speak in tongues are the sons of God. He didn't say as many as are worship leaders are the sons of God or preachers. And he goes on and on. He said... The test for sonship is whether or not a person is led by the Spirit of God. It's not about what you do. It's not about how high you jump in worship. It's about are you being led by the Spirit in the, in the everyday. Is the Spirit resonating with you? 
Is he leading you? Is he guiding you? Is he drawing you? And that is how you know. You'll know a tree by its fruit. So I want to ask us tonight, are we allowing God to lead us? Are we allowing the spirit to speak to us? Because spirit isn't some like blue ghost thing that just hovers around and, you know, some like fairy tale story thing. He's a person. And last time I checked, he's on fire. And he loves us. And he was moving tonight in worship. That's why my voice is gone. I was singing so loud. Um, the spirit is alive and well, and he is faithful and, and, and beloved. We have the spirit on our side. I love Billy Graham. He said in this quote, I have God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and two-thirds of the angels on my side. I don't have time to sit in the fetal position of defeat. I have overwhelming victory on my side. Whoa, that's powerful. We don't have time to crawl up in the fetal position. We have overwhelming victory on our side. Not just the Spirit. We got the Father, the Son, and two-thirds of the angels last time I checked. So, I want to I wanna look at this thing. I mean, those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit. So let's ask the question, how does the Holy Spirit lead us? So I have some points here. The Spirit guides us. He draws us. He governs us. Where does the Holy Spirit lead us? To repentance. He, he makes us think little of ourselves and much of Jesus. He leads us into truth. He leads us into love, holiness, and usefulness. I, I could just imagine where Thrive would be without the Spirit. When you think of all these ragtag people, no offense, from all walks of life, different backgrounds, right? I mean, I'm the Middle Eastern guy that's crazy, and I'm, I'm part of this group. And that's because God loves us, and he, his Spirit draws us, right? And he brings every tongue, every tribe, every nation I think of some of the diversity I see, I love it. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And he brings us and he draws us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Glory to the spirit of God. Where would we, would, would we be and what would we have become if it wasn't for the spirit? I think of this part right here of him guiding us. Like my life would be a train wreck without the spirit. It's by his spirit that I'm here tonight. Walking with him, living for him. I think of all the doors he's closed. I think of all the doors he's opened that I would have never gone through if it wasn't for him. Can you think of maybe some ways God's like kept you from ruining your life? Maybe you have like a mom that prays for you. Anyone have like a mom that prays for you? Shout out to my mom. She's been praying for me since day one. Um, he guides us and he draws us and, and he cares for us. And, and think of all the, like the bad relationships that the spirits maybe kept you from too, like you want to go in and do, you want to go into that, and God's like, nah, nah, I'm going to stay here. You know what I mean? I'm going to close that door right now. It sucks. In the moment, you're like, God, I know this is for me. That's my word, you know. I like this girl. And please don't be that guy to go to a girl and be like, God told me that you're supposed to marry me. Please, please don't do that. Um, just, a, just a little advice. I've been around church for a while. Um, but still, I mean, come on. God guides us, yo. Like, we got to guide Take heart, like we have a guide. We have like, have you ever been on a road trip and gone somewhere and you don't even know where you're going, but your best friend's been there a million times? So you just sit in the passenger seat, binging on Netflix while they drive, and you don't you don't have to worry about where you're going because they got you. It's like that, you know. God, the Holy Spirit is guiding us, and He's in the driver's seat, and you're in the passenger seat, and He's like, I'm gonna take you home. It's like Drake, you know, just hold on, we're going home. 
I love that song. And he can take us home, and he, he, and he cares about us. And he, I'm just thankful for his spirit, because without it, I don't know where I'd be. So repentance, wow. Repentance is really good. I, I can think of how prideful we'd be and lost without the spirit causing us to come and repent and come to him. I can think of thinking little of ourselves and much of Jesus, how conceited we'd be without the spirit. It's like all about me, myself, and I. But the spirit humbles us to the point where like, Jesus, I need you so much. And, and we realize how broken we are. Do you know that we can ask the spirit to come upon us in power? If you don't know the spirit's power in your life, you can ask him to come upon you. And he will. He'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And you'll receive power for your life to go out and be a witness and, and live an elevated life. And that's what the spirit has to offer. So let's read verse 15. My moving on. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Wow, that's really good. And as I was studying this chapter this week, I looked up the word Abba in the Hebrew, and it means daddy. I'm like, wow, like, we can call him daddy. And this really resonated with me because a lot of us here have daddies that aren't, that weren't faithful or were perfect or maybe left us and, and you know what I mean or like just were emotionally distant maybe or abandoned us neglected us and maybe that's that's you tonight and I don't say that to shame you or anything or maybe you had a good parents you know you had a good dad but he still wasn't perfect you know I like what Tim says the best of men are men at best so even if your parents were <laughs> the best they're still humans right and they did their best, you know. So I just, I was so blessed by this when I was reading it. Like, like we have a daddy, a perfect daddy. And I just felt like sharing that tonight. It's like if that's you and you feel pain and you feel lost, I want to tell you that God loves you and that he wants to be a perfect father to you and me. And when your dad was emotionally distant from you, Jesus is not. He opens his hands. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. And he holds you in his hands, and he never forsakes us or leaves us. He's a father to the fatherless. And because of the spirit and what Jesus has done, we have this intimate and joyful relationship where we can come and say, Jesus, Daddy, Abba, and just groan, and that's it. We don't need to say a lofty prayer. You just say, Daddy, and he's there in a minute, and he's interceding for you. And just like the prodigal son that ran away, <laughs> And wasted his life. His dad was still waiting for him. Remember? Looking out. Runs out. Puts the robe on him. Plays, slays the filet mignon. Has some steak. <laughs> That's Jesus, man. Like, we have an Abba. A daddy that welcomes you home. He doesn't care what you've done. He just says, come home. Come on. So if that's you, come home tonight. And let God heal you where you've been wounded. And it's okay to be not be okay in church. Can I be Amen. Like, I'm not okay. That's why I'm preaching up here, because I know how desperately we need his word and how bad I need it. And it's kind of nice studying the word throughout the week a lot and, and preparing it. So um, I want to look at the word adoption, because in the Roman condition, in the Roman tradition, adoption, when somebody would be adopted, their old families, let's read right here, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son would lose all his rights in the old family and gain rights in the new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out 
his debts were canceled and nothing from his past counted against him anymore. So it's like, that's really cool because like all the sin, all the oldness of our past is all canceled when we're adopted into God's family. It's like, wow, he canceled it all. And now we're like his son. We're his daughters. And we have a home. And we are, we are one of his now. And I was just blown away by that. And verse 16 says that the spirit himself testifies that our spirit with the spirit that we're God's children. So God's like, I'll confirm that. That you're my child. You're my daughter. And I, I put my stamp of approval on that. You know what I mean? It's not like the dad with the shotgun. When you try to date their daughter, comes out, no, you're not dating my daughter. The spirit, you know, he affirms, he's like, yeah, you're welcome here. You're welcome at my table, and you don't have to be perfect to belong here. Can I bring up the keyboarder here? Help me close this. All right, so we're almost done. Five verses here. Just know the best is yet to come. This chapter is full of good stuff. Let me read verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may share in his glory. My last point tonight is not only do we have the privilege of being glorified with Christ, but we have the privilege of sharing in his suffering. Anyone here suffered a little bit? Life is full of suffering and you can't get away from it. And the truth is, is this is amazing. This verse, some people read it like, yo, that's scary. I don't want to suffer with God. I don't want to go into persecution. But I look at it as this is a blessing. Can you think of in your life the times that you've gotten close to people the most are the people you've suffered with. These are people that you've had blood, sweat, and tears. I think of the people I've been through the academy with that I bled and sweat with to become an officer. And these are the brothers that I look up to now. And these are the brothers that I love. The people I can call on when I'm struggling, when I'm, when I'm tempted or I'm, I'm discouraged, and people I cry with. These are the people you care about. In that same way, the Spirit himself, Jesus is like, hey, the good news. You don't get to just be glorified with me. You get to put in the suffering too. So that glory can be worth something, right? Everything in our life that we work for is, is, is what pays off, right? You don't want to just be given everything. Sometimes you want to get down and dirty and you want to work and you want to shovel and you want to put in some effort. And I want to tell you that tonight, your suffering as a believer is not in vain. This is what sets us apart. It's achieving an eternal weight of glory. It's doing something, every ounce of suffering. Every time you say no to your sin, every time you're persecuted because you're a believer, every time you share the gospel and you don't want to and people look down on you, you are doing something. It's achieving an eternal weight of glory. Just think of it like the dam. Imagine a dam of glory and every ounce of suffering that you suffer, believer, is achieving an eternal weight of glory and that one day it will be unleashed on you. When you come before Jesus, he will pour it out on you and pour it out on you because he cares and he holds every teardrop in his hands. We have a God that's not blind and and deaf. He's a God that sees. So I want to tell you, this is what sets us apart from unbelievers. The truth is you will suffer as an unbeliever and you will suffer as a believer. But the difference in the common denominator is as a believer, your suffering is not in vain. As an unbeliever, that wrath 
that dam I was talking about is achieving wrath. And every time you turn away from God, and every time you say, I got this, and I can do this, there is wrath being stored up for you. And I say that because I love you. And I don't want you to be destroyed by God's wrath because he split it on his son. He exhausted his wrath on Jesus. He took the wrath of the world on Jesus so that he wouldn't put it on you and me. That's why I'm here tonight. The gospel is powerful and he cares. And I want you to know that your love and your suffering doesn't have to be in vain. And that you get to have a home in heaven. And this is what we have here. Is if that's you, I want you to be encouraged tonight. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus brings revival. And to the believer that's suffering every day and saying no to his sin and battling an addiction or maybe battling his flesh and battling anxiety to the point where you can't sleep at night and you're saying, God, I can't stay up another night in my anxiety. I can't sleep tonight, Lord. And you're suffering, but you know you're doing the right thing and you know you're walking with God, but it still sucks. I want to tell you, it's not in vain. When your mom dies, when your brother dies, when they're suffering and you're, you're persecuted, I want to tell you it's not in vain. And God will repay a hundred times what you've lost in this world. I was talking to a brother last week at summer camp, and I won't mention his name, but he lost his brother at a very young age. And he spent 29 years pretty much at the bedside with his brother to the point where he died and he lost his only brother. And I was like, God, what do I tell this guy? I haven't lost a brother. Like, I can't relate. And he gave me this verse. He said, Dave, I want you to tell this brother that it's not in vain. It's doing something. Encourage him. Tell him that he's loved and that Jesus is, is, is sees him and cares for him. And that's, that's you tonight. And you're suffering. I love you. And I'm there with you. And you're not alone. And the best is yet to come. And hold on, we are going home. Like the great theologian Drake said, we are going home, but we're going home to a good place and where every ounce of suffering will be paid back. So with that said, I, I want to close with one final story. This is probably a shout out to Tim because I heard this from him. But There's a story of a, a man named John Griffith in the 1920s who was a train conductor and he would, he would work on the bridge and he would separate the bridge and last minute when the train would come, he would, he would move it so that the train could get across. So it's the 1920s, the Great Depression hits. This guy is working this job, he's discouraged. I mean, his dream was to work in Wall Street and be famous, but he's stuck doing this conductor job. And God has mercy on him and he has one son. By grace, he has one son and his wife and that's all he has. And he's discouraged and he's working this dead end job. But one day his son is old enough, he's eight years old to come with him to work. And he's excited, so they pack their lunch. And they go out and they're hanging out and, it, and it's right by the river. So his son is out fishing and he's working on the trains, moving the, moving the uh, bridge operator so that the, the trains can come across. And he goes down and he's just hanging out with his son, just loving his son. And just he's fishing and, and he's sharing stories with his son. And time flies by, right? And next thing you know is there's one minute left and the train's coming. And he has to go up and he has to change the, the, the train lever, lever so that these hundreds of people can get across. And he says, son, stay right here. Don't go anywhere. And he goes up. He goes up to the, to the lever and he's looking down at the, the anchors and, and all the, um, the levers below with all the big gears, the, the massive gears. And he's, he's just hoping nobody's down there. And he, 
and he's, he's getting ready for this train to come across with hundreds of people in, and he looks down, and there's his son stuck in the levers, stuck, and his leg is bleeding, and he's saying, Father, help me, help me, help me. And his son, his only son, an eight-year-old son, is stuck in the lever, and there's seconds coming, and there's a choice he has to make. Either, either I sacrifice my son, my only son, or I, or I save these hundreds of people that are coming, and, and he's just petrified and terrified, and last minute he, he chooses to save the people on the train. He crushes his son, and he hears the, ah, oh, and he hears the, 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 the squeal from his eight-year-old son, his only son, his precious son, as he sees hundreds of people are going through the train, and he's looking in, and he's seeing these people, and they're just having fun and drinking tea, and they're having lunch, and they have no idea what just happened, that this man just <laughs> sacrificed his son so he could save these hundreds of people that were going across, and he's like, don't you see that, don't you see what I've done, and don't you see, and he's just banging on the glass, and, and he goes through, and, and he holds his son in his hands, and his only son, and he's dead, and, and I was, I was looking at this story, and I was reminded of what Jesus had done for us, like this story that John and his son Greg, he, he, he had to sacrifice his son. Jesus did it willingly. God the Father willingly sacrificed Jesus on that cross. He willingly nailed him on that cross. And he said, I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you, that I'm willing to exhaust my son with my wrath to the point where he was bleeding and marred beyond recognition. He was slayed for us. And this rebel and thug and thief of Barabbas and Jesus here and... and <laughs> The people choose Barabbas and they let Barabbas go free and Jesus goes off to the cross that me and you deserve. This is the gospel and we're Barabbas. We're the rebel, the thug, and the thief that deserve the cross. But Barabbas goes free and Jesus goes off to the cross. And that is the gospel tonight is we can look at the Bible, but this is what it's about. And that is for you and me. And I don't know if you, you probably heard a million times, we need to be reminded of the gospel every night because we forget it every day. So I'm going to be bold here be bold. Let's let's pray and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the spirit to intercede tonight. Father God, close close your eyes. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that the gospel is always faithful and always powerful in spite of who's saying it. And that you died for us and you crushed your son on that cross so that we could live. And tonight we're taking communion and we're reminded of that, the blood that you spilled for us and me and, and, and everyone here. God, we have one life to live. It'll soon be passed, but only what's done for you will last. And I pray for every soul here tonight that doesn't know you, every soul that's hardening their hearts, God. Please, God, save them. Open their eyes and show them that you're good and that you're better than the flesh and that you're faithful. I'm going to be bold tonight. I remember the day I came up at Camp Soundview at 12 years old and Tim Cedarling gave a gospel message, and I went up, and I gave my life to God, and I cried. I've never been the same. How sweet the sound of, of grace. If that's you tonight, and you want him, and you feel him tugging on your heart, I want to tell you there's, there's nothing better than God. There's a God-shaped hole in your heart that only he can fill. If that's you tonight, one, I want to urge you at three to stand up. Raise your hand and stand up and say, I want that. We want to pray with you because that's what we're about here is Jesus and the gospel. So one, if that's you and you fought his love, two, you'll never be the same. 
Jesus loves you so much, and he wants to change you forever. Three, if that's you, stand up. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to be saved. If that's you, I urge you, raise your hand. God loves you so much. This is the place to get help. If that's you, I urge you, I know you're fighting it, stand up and, and, and give your life to him. you're on the other end and you just feel like you've fallen away from the gospel and you're back to religion and you're back to your flesh and you're feeling dead inside and you want to get back to him, I urge you to on three to raise your hand and say, God, I'm done living in my sin. I'm done dying here. I want to live, yo. On, on three, I want to urge you to raise your hand. One, God loves you so much. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, today is the day to, to commit your life back to him. God bless you, brother. Amen. Bless you, sister. Bless you. If that's you, raise your hand. Today is the day to confess and repent and turn and be healed. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for all the decisions tonight. Thank you, God, that you're faithful. I pray that you would bless every step tonight to back to you, every step that people have turned back to you because you deserve it. Bless them, Lord. And those who are still fighting you, God, just, just break them apart and, and, and show them your love. For your glory, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you, Lord. Bless small groups. Bless the rest of our fellowship. It's all about you, Lord. We love you. Amen. Come on. Give him a shout of praise. Man, I got to follow that up. That's not happening. But here I am. Um, I'm really excited tonight, guys. We are 